Hello, good evening, Aston Villa fans, and welcome to the Villa Forever podcast. I am your host, Chad Williams. First of all, before we get started, if you are new, please subscribe to my channel. Subscribing don't cost anything. Subscribing is completely free. It will massively help me out. And it helped this channel grow. Also, you know where to follow me. You can follow me on all audio platforms, including Spotify, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. This evening, I'm joined by my special guest, Dave Reed. He was a Sky Sports News presenter. And he's well known as a regular on the 1874 podcast with Dan Bardell. I'll be doing the pre-match talk show, Aston Villa versus Nottingham Forest. Saturday, it's back to a normal 3pm kickoff. Can Aston Villa get back-to-back wins in the Premier League and can they continue to get a good run going which could take them to a Champions League spot. Between Aston Villa and Nottingham Forest but both teams have won three European Cups between both of them. Aston Villa have won it once, and Forest have won it twice. It's going to be a fantastic atmosphere on Saturday. I'm grateful to have you on the show, Dave. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Very well. Uh, great to be on. Um, I've been aware of your uh, podcasts and YouTube and everything for for a while, so it's good good to finally get a date in the diary so we can have a chat. And while we're on air as well, Dave, I'd like to congratulate you and your partner for having a baby. Thank you. Thanks very much. Yeah, so uh, we're due towards the end of July. So, um, yeah, we're full steam ahead. Thank you very much. I've had a lot of messages, actually, um, over the last week or so, um, and I've I've read them all. So thanks to everybody who's um, commented and and posted and everything like that. really appreciate it. And for some of the listeners that don't know, your work colleagues with Dan Bardell. That's good. I am. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Dan started coming in, might be a couple of years ago now. And obviously I I've, I've knew of him through um, all the Villa stuff that he does, but I, I hadn't actually met him properly, but yeah, obviously, as as expected, when I first met him, got on like uh, like a house on fire, and um, he's very good at what he does. He's he's an excellent broadcaster, um, not just about Villa, but a, about lots of other teams as well. Premier League, around Europe, Championship. He knows a lot of stuff. So yeah, I'm really uh, really proud to call him a colleague and a, and a friend. Good both of you are doing are doing a great job. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, it's um, uh, to be honest with you, the January window that just went was pretty quiet, and it was 
quite difficult to to come up with some daily features and daily content on Sky, but um, we managed to get through it. I wonder, I wonder how things might change in the summer and next January. Um, well, next January in particular, really, because the January that just gone might well be a sign of things to come in in future years. Yeah, and Dave, are you originally from Sunny Hall? I am. Yes, I'm from Shirley. Um, just outside Solihull, that's that's where I uh, grew up and where my parents still live. I went to uh, Woodridge High School in Withall, uh, Hollywood. Yeah. I don't know whether you know it or anybody else knows do, it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's where I went to school. Um, and then um, I ended up moving to Nottingham. Um, that was mostly for university. Um, ended up staying a little bit after that as well. Uh, but yeah, my my roots and where I call home is uh, is Shirley. Yeah, because I'm from Tamworth. Oh, I know Tamworth well. I know Tamworth well. I got uh, I got some friends there. So uh, yeah, I like. Uh, I've I've been a few times. I've been a few times. Well, before we get into the pre-match talk show, I want to ask you some questions about Sky. So, how long have you been working for Sky? How did you get the job? Yeah, so um, I started working for Sky in 2010. So <clears throat> I came out of university and ended up working for local radio. And then Sky had just launched. It was a, it was a pilot radio station that was running through yeah. uh, their app and various other places. And I ended up getting a job at Sky uh, that was based in Leeds on this radio station. And that was a great grounding for broadcasting, learning skills from lots of experienced people that were there at the time. And I lived in Leeds and worked in Leeds for Sky there for four years until 2014. And then after 2014, I ended up moving to the London office, which is based just near Brentford in a place called Osterley, West London. And that's where I've worked ever since. So I'm, I'm kind of in my 14th year working for Sky, but 10th year now working in London for Sky in, in the main head office. And my day-to-day -day is uh, producing. So yeah. I work on one of the production teams and then I chip in and do lots of other different things as well, as, as you'll see, presenting, reporting, lots of other things that go on around the place. I uh, I managed to keep my hand in and get involved in. So, yeah, very lucky. Give you work in your way up? Yeah, yeah. Um I mean, when did I start? How old was I when I started working for Sky? Maybe 20, I was still maybe 22, I think I was, 22 or 23. And I've learned so much in the years after that. You know, it's it, there's so many talented people that work for Sky and you learn something new every day. And hopefully now I'm at the stage where I'm passing on some of my experience to, to other people as well. I bet Sky is a great environment to work in as well. It is, yes. There's great camaraderie. That, and, and it's what makes it really, you know, everybody sees the polished, uh, every, everything that's polished that goes yeah. out on television, but it's behind the scenes really. And what makes it is the people, what makes it is going to work and um, and being able to share your day with lots of other people that in particular love football, but I love cricket, I love tennis, I love lots of other different sports as well. So being able to to work in that environment where you're kind of watching sport, it's uh, yeah, it's something that sometimes you you take for granted a little bit going to work every day, but it is a great place to be. A lot of hard work goes into it. 
Yeah, it's, it's very hard work. It's um, particularly on, on my uh, production team. So we have about 10 or 11 people working on our production team and, and we mostly look after day output, which is 12 until five o'clock. And it's our job to editorialize the, the content that comes in into the building that comes in through different shoots and it's our job to kind of turn that around and put it into a good picture or good clips from people talking and, and put that on the telly so it's very fast paced very fast paced you don't kind of get a second to think about stuff on on your shift but um no it's very rewarding at the end of the day when you when you put together five hours of television it's um yeah it's very rewarding and then there's other stuff obviously that i do as well yeah. um some of the presentation side and some of the reporting things out on the road. So I've got a good all round uh, knowledge of, of how Sky Sports News comes together. Have you always been working in journalism? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's something that I guess when I was 14, um, when I was 14, I realized I was never going to be a professional footballer. And then I decided what, what, can be the next best thing really um and that's kind of getting paid to watch football so from then really um at 14 i i went in and did some work experience at brmb uh which oh yeah I remember when it was brmb i, I remember uh, that. yeah i think it's now it might be capital now i think i'm not sure what, free it, what it's radio, called it might be free it. free radio free radio yeah so um i went in and worked with a guy called tom ross and he kind of showed me the ropes and there was another guy there called ian powell um and at 14 i was just wide-eyed getting to go to training grounds and everything they were they were very hospitable looking after me and basically all i did for the week was cook the um, make the tea but um it it kind of got got me the bug for radio really and then from from then on i kind of asked to to keep coming back really and every saturday right through from when i was 14 through to uh end of like six form it was so i would have been six 16 to 18 I was answering the phones on a Saturday afternoon for the for the post football phone in, so I'd be taking calls from people and then putting them through to Tom, uh, who the was on it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that was that was my job on a on a Saturday afternoon, and then from there on, you know, radio was my first love really, and I, m my kind of ambition was to be a commentator. Um, and then I went off to university, did broadcast journalism at university at Nottingham Trent University. Came out of there. Worked a little bit in local radio there, uh, so did a little bit at the Nottingham stations, moved home again, worked at some of the uh, Birmingham radio stations, what was Heart, yeah. uh, Galaxy, which I think is now Capital, Free Radio, lots of other different radio stations. I've been on BBC was... WM before. You, you have? Yeah, I've been in the studio there in I've never been on WM, so you've you've already beaten me on that one because I always <laughs> used to listen to WM as well and thought I'd love to be on there. Um, yeah, so that was um, that was my story. Really, did news really after after university rather than sports reporting. That's Worked for uh, another state, lots of stations actually out in Coventry and Warwickshire, a place called Touch FM, uh, which I think has changed its name again. It's been that long ago. So worked for them. And then ended up going to to Sky and Leeds, so that's kind of the background, and it's it's gone from there really. So we're going to, we're going to talk about the football now. Uh, so, what is your thoughts on the Fulham game? So, the Fulham game, I thought it was an excellent performance for an hour. 
I think we control the game. I know Unai Emery likes to do that, and it's it's um it's becoming more common as well away from home for us to slow the play down and control the game. And yeah. I thought we were excellent for an hour. Uh, got the deserved lead, two goals, and then you know Fulham got one back. I think uh, sixty-three minutes, and then from there on, it turned into a little bit of a scrap, a little bit of a battle, and we lost a little bit con- of control of the game. And uh, you know, it's very, it's not that's not an, a criticism; it's an observation. Really, you're never or very rarely going to be able to control ninety minutes of football. So there are going to be times when you, you aren't in control of the game, and that's credit to Fulham, really, for managing to get a, a goal back through probably our own error at that point. Um, and then they really threatened, and it, it was down to Emi Martinez at the end, really, that made the fantastic save from Adama Traore. But on the whole, a very, very positive performance. Watkins was outstanding. Pau Torres was outstanding. Great to have him back. And I thought, overall, a really positive performance. And it followed up the Manchester United game, really, where... It was a really good performance, yeah. but we just didn't quite get the result. So I was really happy that they managed to continue that performance level into the Fulham game. Is one of those guys that we couldn't afford it to lose? Yeah, I think so. Just with the way that the table is, and actually we got a little bit lucky there where, with Tottenham's result against Wolves. So it was one of those games where you went into it and... You, you kind of would be able to predict the narrative if Villa didn't win that game or even lost that game at Craven Cottage. The story and the discourse would have been around, or, you know, Villa are, are choking here. They're going to drop down the table. Form, injuries have hit at the wrong time. But I thought it was perfect, really. Perfect response. Great to get three points. I think getting back in the top four, the Wolves did a survivor. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's, uh, it's the season that... Gary O'Neill's having really. I think he's been absolutely brilliant coming Doing in. Great job. Yeah, he has a couple of days before the season started. Uh, you know, the, the summer window closed and everyone was saying they've they've not done enough. They've not got enough players in. Um, and the job he's done has been absolutely fantastic. And probably they've ended the January window and people have thought, again, they've not done enough in the January window. They wanted a striker. They wanted Armando Breuer, but didn't get him in. But still, Gary O'Neill just keeps coming up with results and they've got a special player in, in Pedro Neto as well. So credit to Wolves. They've done us a, a, a great favour there by by beating Tottenham. But I, I think this is going to go right to the end of the season, to be honest with you. There's going to be topsy-turvy games, results. You know, Tottenham are beatable. They can be vulnerable at times, as are we. So, yeah, I think it's going to go right down to the end of the season. Do I think that game against Spurs, that's going to be a massive game, that game. Yeah, it was. And I think that's why the Fulham game as well, another strand to it was why that was so important is the build-up to this Tottenham game. So we've got this weekend and then another game and then it's Tottenham. And that's why that game is going to be absolutely vital. It's going to be it's going to be rocking at Villa Park. And actually, you know, by rights, we probably should have lost at Tottenham's ground because it was one of those bizarre games where we've ended yeah. up winning uh, and they've totally dominated. So... I think they'll be eager to put one over on us. Well, hopefully, after that game, we can build some momentum. I definitely need to, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's the next best thing, isn't it? Just build up a couple of results. Back-to-back wins would be fantastic. Get a little bit of momentum um, and hopefully get nine points. We've already got three, but to get nine points before the Tottenham game would be brilliant. Do you remember that, like, this time last season... And then when Emery first come in, with the first few dodgy results, 
But then we went on an incredible winning run. Yeah, and I think he'll be using that again. I think he'll be using that as part of his team talk. You know, this is this is our time to put together another run. And, you know, if we can get that train rolling, it almost felt unstoppable last season. It almost felt like Villa were unbeaten that, um, towards Arsenal the end of the season. The Arsenal-Leicester defeat. Yeah, and, and we conceded goals in that game. And then after those games... We, we had one of the best defences in the league and, you know, Villa have struggled to cle- keep clean sheets for most of this season. So it would be perfect if we could go on a little run of clean sheets now to the end of the season. Well, if we can probably win the next four or five, maybe, I think we've got a good chance of getting Champions League. Yeah, look, if Villa win four or five in a row, I think we'll still be talking about the title rather than top four because th- those teams... I'm, I'm, I don't think it's going to be a very high points tally, particularly to win the title this year. And you know, Villa win four or five in a row, I think we'll still be in the in the title conversation rather than top four. So that'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? I think about Fulham guy. I was really impressed with the pressing, really high up the pitch. Yeah, and it's interesting because. You know, without having Bubakar Kamara, Villa definitely are missing something when we don't have the ball. But to be able to use John McGinn in there, and he was absolutely fantastic in those in that final half an hour as well. When you need a player to step up and chase things down and put their body on the line and, and put tackles in, I thought John McGinn was absolutely fantastic in that final half an hour when Fulham were building up a bit of a, a bit of a head of steam. But yeah, I thought we we were excellent without the ball against Fulham. Um, I thought we we kind of worked them over a little bit in that first half and were in complete control, really. And they didn't particularly have a sniff until they until they ended up scoring. So, yeah, I thought we were, we were excellent. When you get a big injury, I mean, what you need in the team is you have a big players to step up. And we did that. Yeah, and we're going to need them to, to continue doing that as well. And... You know, in fairness, it's not it's not just been one big injury, has it? It's been well, three, we four, much, five. We haven't much to look. No, we haven't at all. And I think if Villa have one more big injury, I think that is going to be very difficult for us to sustain, given the the size of our squad. And you just hope it doesn't happen to the the obvious candidates like Ollie Watkins or or Emmy Martinez. But you know, if there was one more big injury, I think that might be very difficult for us to sustain a, a challenge. But right now particularly when you see the starting 11 for the game against Fulham, that's still a very strong starting 11. So in the Fulham game, it was your player of the match, Dave? Difficult one. I mean, I thought Ollie Watkins had an excellent game. Um, but but for me, it was the returning Pal Torres and it, he was just so in control. He was... Um, everything just went through him. You know, from goal kicks, he was the first one that we we were looking for. And some of that is to do with having his quality back. Some of that, I think, was to do with having Longley alongside him in a more unfamiliar un, uh, position. But I just thought the way he's able to move us up the pitch with the ball, the way he's able to take players out of the game with his passing, it's so invalu- invaluable. And I know you almost become a better player when you're injured because people talk about you non-stop yeah. and that seems to have been the case with Pau Torres. But he really showed he really showed what Villa had been missing against Fulham. Can Pau Torres, he's a real intelligence footballer. 
Yeah, he is. And I remember in the summer when we signed him, I think there were a few question marks. You know, is he is he going to be physically capable enough to to handle the Premier League? But the thing is, he doesn't get himself into situations where he yeah. might lose a 1v1. And that's the sign of a good defender. You know, he very rarely gets dragged out of position, dragged out wide or in a foot race with anyone or in, you know, a, a big physical confrontation. And that's, you know, down to his experience and down to his quality that he's able to negate those possible negative areas of his game so he's not exposed. You know, you know what you think with Kamara injured? Do you think Paul Torres can maybe move into a defensive midfield position? in the future look I think he's got the quality on the ball but I just think there would be he's been playing so well and I think to move him into an unfamiliar position when we're already a little bit light at the back it's it's a risk that I don't think he'll take but you never know what might happen if if there is another injury we might have to think of of another way around it well I was going to talk about Ollie Watkins to me, he was magnificent. He was on fire. Yeah, he was. He's, he's so good. I think, you know, he's he's probably... You could argue he's in... He's de- well, he's definitely in the top three Premier League strikers, number nines. And he's there's an like argument... Yeah, definitely. And there's an argument that he's actually number two on the list ahead of, ahead of Ivan Tony. I, I'm, I'm not sure whether there is another number nine in the Premier League who's been as good, as consistent this season as, as Ollie Watkins. And he, he was so good against Fulham that the first goal was just great awareness. And, you know, he is, con- considering, you know, he has played up front before, but he's also spent time on the left-hand side. And I think for him as well, coming to Villa, there was a little bit of time where he was probably learning the position. And those two goals last weekend were a perfect example as to how he is now a natural striker and a natural goal scorer. The first one where, you know, there was the spatial awareness where he managed to swivel and then get the shot off very early into the corner. And the second one, again, an unbelievable awareness where he's dragged Issa Diop deep, spun him behind, and he's got the finish away. It's it's just, it comes, feels like it's come so easy to him now, which is absolutely great to see. Because I think with Watkins... He's really enjoying his football under Emery. I think it's probably, and I'm sure he would agree, it's probably the best football that he's playing of his career so far. And I know he was prolific at Brentford, but it was in a, you know, a, a lower tier. And given the way he's playing so far over the last year to eighteen months, this is definitely the best period of his career. And and long may it continue. Because we you know Emery as well. He completely trusts Watkins, which gives Watkins a lot of belief and confidence. Yeah, and you can tell that in the way that Unai Emery talks as well. Even when he doesn't necessarily score goals, Unai Emery is the first to pick him out as, uh, you know, Ollie Watkins did some great running today or, you know, he really opened up space for others. And it helps when it, it helps that argument when he's getting assists mm-hmm. as well and his goal contributions are, are through the roof. But Unai Emery is always one of the first to 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 pick out and go, Ollie Watkins was excellent. Yes, he may not have scored, but he did everything else that the team asks for, asks of him, and actually what I ask of him as well. And that's how that's how good he is as a striker. Can you quality a lot about him in the Fulham game? He held up the ball really well as well, nicking up with his teammates. 
Yeah, and I think I remember listening to Thomas Franken when he was talking about Ivan Tony and comparing Ivan Tony to uh, Ollie Watkins, and it was his opinion that Ivan Tony's link-up play was slightly better than Ollie Watkins. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but it's an area that I think Ollie Watkins has massively improved on, and I think he showed that against Fulham as well. The way he's able to bring other players into the game, um, it's it, his link-up play was brilliant. Because at the end of letting letting Danny Ings go was a very good decision. Watkins is the main striker. Yeah, it was, and I think Villa fans last uh, last year were thinking, "Oh, okay." We've let Danny Ings go, who's a natural striker, who's proved to have scored goals in the Premier League. Yes, his age was a factor. Yes, his contract was also uh, a factor. But I think there was a, a, a kind of feeling that maybe Villa had left themselves short. And I know we ended up getting in John Duran, who, but he was totally untried and untested. And it was a real show of faith in Ollie Watkins that, you know, Villa let go of Danny Ings and it's proved to be the right decision because Ollie Watkins has been absolutely magnificent and, and you know, Danny Ings is struggling for game time at West Ham and I think business-wise, given the Danny Ings' age, given his contract, we managed to get some money in for him. It was absolutely the right decision. Well, what that Watkins does as well, as well as scoring goals, he chips in with assists as well. Yeah, I, I, I remember seeing a graphic this week and I think his goal contributions across, comparing him across the top five leagues, there's only a f- couple of players ahead of him and it's like mm-hmm. Erling Haaland or Harry Kane and Kylian Mbappe and then there's Oli and Mo Salah. And, you know, I've probably got the list in the wrong wrong way around there, but he was in that company. He was in amongst those names. And for Ollie Watkins to be amongst those names just shows how good he is. You know, if he continues at this pace of goal scoring and assists, you know, why can't we put him in that conversation with those players? Yeah, he's probably not at that level yet. But if that consistency continues... And he, he keeps coming up with goals, keeps coming up with assists. The conversation will turn to, is he as good as a Haaland? Is he as good as a Kane? Is he as good as a Mo Salah? Is he as good as an Mbappe? Because at the moment, his numbers are comparable to them. Well, well Dave, I've got the stats here. Uh, is it 23 goal contributions in Europe for the best leagues? Yeah, that's it. And it's a it's a brilliant return, absolutely brilliant return. And I, I, you know he is the starting number nine, and it you know there's nobody really challenging him. John Duran might like to think that he is the one that is going to be challenging Ollie Watkins, and he's the closest to him right now. But given his injury history, Ollie Watkins is front and centre, Aston Villa's number nine. So it comes to the you know w- when you, you think about the summer transfer window and how Villa take their squad and take their game to the next level. It's going to be very difficult for Villa to sign another forward player that is able to compete with Watkins simply because of his record and simply because of the trust that Unai Emery has in him. Dave, I'm just going to drink of water. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm going to talk about Paul Torres. So how important 
is Paul Torres to Aston Villa the way we play? He is absolutely vital, and I think he showed that against against Fulham. That's not to say that you know Clement Longley has been poor or has done anything wrong. I just think that Paul Torres is on a different level to any other centre back that Villa have when it comes to passing the ball and playing the ball. And, and I know it seems mm-hmm. seems strange talking about a defender as their best attribute being to pass the ball, but you, you kind of think that the f- defender's first job, sh- job should be defending the goal and kicking it and heading it away. But yeah. Paul Torres, if Villa control a game, which we have done on numerous occasions and is, is Unai Emery's mm-hmm. first port of call is, can we control the game? If we're able to dominate the ball, dominate possession, he is absolutely vital for the way that Villa play. Because Paul Torres... When he's in the Villa team, you can see the difference he makes. Yeah, you can. You can. And I think it also comes when, you know, he is... I think, and also one thing I did notice in the Fulham game was that he was Mm -hmm. talking a lot and talking long lay through the game a lot. And there was lots of, um, you know, waving of the arms and and gesticulating and ordering the, the rest of the back four and the goalkeeper defensive unit around. And I think that's also what he brings, a little bit of leadership there and a little bit of know-how, having played, uh, you know, for sides in Spain and knowing how Unai Emery works. And I think, you know, his leadership on that back line is vital, uh, particularly, you know, when we often play with a with a high line as well. I think his communication and his leadership on that is is uh, absolutely what Villa need. God, I'm sure of that way. I think it's 50 million or something we signed him for. I think it might have been a bit less than that. Or, or I'm not 40, sure on the 40, figure. 30, but yeah. yeah, it might have been a little he's, bit less he's, than he's, that. He's, he's worth every penny. Absolutely. And actually, it seems like a bit of a bargain right now because, you know, I, I, I'm struggled to think of a centre-back that has been better than Paul Torres this season. Um Trying to think, maybe you know Newcastle fans might argue Sven Botman, Tottenham fans might argue Mickey Van de Ven, but you know when when you watch Pal Torres every other week, there's no doubting his quality, and he has been one of the signings of the season so far. Yeah, because I really enjoy watching him, like moving the ball with his quality, very comfortably. Yeah, he's, uh, I think, you know, Villa wouldn't be able to do what they do with, without him. And I think we've, we've, that, that's kind of proven, been proven in the, in the last uh, few weeks or almost two months, really, that he was out for. You know, Villa's game has suffered without him. And I think it, it just showed when he came back how good he is and how good this Villa team is when he's in it. Good Dave, I'm not sure what you think about this. But I think his passing ability is just as good as some of the top midfielders in the Premier League, I think. Yeah, I mean... It's quality. Yeah, definitely. And particularly, you know, lots of teams in the Premier League play a similar-ish sort of style, and that's, you know, an aggressive 
press onto the onto the back four, particularly from goal kicks. A lot of teams will play man to man before, you know, and then if, if you kind of break that man to man press, they will then kind of revert to a to a kind of four four two or a mid block or something like that. But you know, he is and uh, so good under pressure. I think that's another thing that is very good about his game. And you know, maybe he the difference, I guess, if if you're playing midfield, is that sometimes mm-hmm. you don't have the whole game in front of you. You know, yeah. as a centre back, you're looking forward down the pitch, whereas midfield, you're sometimes having to take the ball and you can't see what's coming behind you. And that's one of the things that you know is one of the tougher things about playing and being a midfielder in in the Premier League at the moment. Even when Torres is under pressure, he's so calm on the ball. Nothing seems to phase him, does it? Nothing seems to phase <laughs> him. He's, he's just so good. We're going to talk about another Aston Villa centre-back. But in the summer, do you think we should sign Clement Longley on a permanent deal? Um, look, I think my my initial opinion would be no, yep. simply because you, you would like to think that Tyra Mings is going to be back. And then do you want to keep around a good player? And, you know, when I say a good player, I mean an experienced player mm-hmm. that would command pretty hefty wages, and rightly so, because he has played for some of the biggest clubs in Europe, has played European football and has been, you know, very solid for Aston Villa. So he would command pretty large wages. So mm-hmm. do you want to bring in a player like him to be yeah. almost probably a fifth choice centre back. And also would he want to sign permanent permanently for Villa? Because Is it I think the comp- they do as well. Yeah, I mean they're in a whole heap of trouble. Um, when it comes to the summer they will need to move players on left, right and centre and cut their losses on a number of players. I just think from and you know from his point of view, the conversation will be had with him that, you know, you probably well you are definitely going to be behind Pau Torres. You're probably going to be behind Tyrone Mings as well. So are Villa going to be better served by offering the opportunities that Longley would have to a, a younger player coming through uh, and someone from the 21s? You know, there's lots of highly thought of players, particularly at the back um, in the Villa Academy system and coming through. So as a fifth choice centre-back, for me, it makes more sense to give it to someone uh, that, you know, he's going to be very, very eager to impress and he's there to learn rather than someone who is going to take wages from the bank that we could use elsewhere. And also, yeah, yeah. But yeah, because I think, uh, I mean, mean, Clement Longley has been criticised. But I think he's been putting some good performances in. What have you made of him this season, Longley? I agree with you. Um, I think it's almost been unfair because he's just been compared to to Pau Torres, and they're obviously di- different blokes. So it's it's hard for, to be compared to someone who, you know, has undoubtedly been one of the signings of the season for Aston Villa. So I do have a little bit of sympathy for him on that front. You know, I think he he does have his limitations. I think he you know he struggles in one v ones. I think he he lacks a little bit of pace, um, but. I think on the whole, he's been good. I think on the whole, he's been solid. Particularly liked his performance away at Everton, 
when yeah. they tried to make it a bit of a fight, basically, in the second half. And I think he stood up to that. And I really like to see that side of him because, you know, he he's almost, his style is so kind of calm and you don't see many facial expressions. There's no, you know, sometimes you see centre-backs giving it large to the crowd when mm-hmm. they win a tackle or they, or they get a block. And he just kind of... He, he just kind of floats around the pitch, really. And, and you know, that's why I liked the, the game that he had at Everton when, you know, he showed a little bit that he was happy to stick a tackle on someone. So that was quite nice to see. And I think on the whole, he's been solid. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be criticising Clement Longley at all. Go on, what about Longley as well? He always gives 100% and doesn't manage roster him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he's learning the position as well. You know, he's learning things that Unai Emery is asking of of the left-sided centre-back. So, and I think the manager said that himself, you know, it's taken him time to learn different patterns of play and coming into the team, it's 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 not easy. So, I think he's done really well. Let's talk about Saturday's game. So, what are you expecting from Forrest? I'm expecting a tough, <laughs> tough game. Um, I think, you know, results have upturned a little bit under Nuno Espirito Santo. You know, they have got a very dangerous front four, very dangerous, and that they have got pace. Anthony Alanga, I really like. Callum Hudson-Odoi, Morgan Gibbs-White. And then, you know, Taiwo Awani, he got subbed off last week and a big question mark over his fitness. He's been out for quite a while this season, on and off. Uh, He's come back, started a few games in recent weeks, but then got taken off last week. He's a massive player. I really rate him. I think he's great. So if that front four starts, Villa have got to be concentrating for the full 90 minutes because they can hurt you in an instant. Um, But they've got some really quality players. Murillo at the back. I've talked about him already uh, this season, earlier this season. You know, he is going to be out, yeah. outstanding. And if Forrest sell on another player, you know, he is someone who's going to probably command £50 million for a centre-back. I think he's that good. He's so good. And they have got they have got some real quality. So Villa have got to be on their toes this weekend. They're going to be no pushovers. Can you give me Espirito Santo? What, what he's done good at Forrest, they do look more dangerous on the counter attack. Not scoring goals going forward. Yeah, they do. And, you know, counter-attack was essentially what Nuno built his Wolves team on and they were incisive and they were one of the best counter-attacking teams in the Premier League when when he was in charge there. So he's brought that to Nottingham Forest. Um, you know, they've scored a few more goals than they did under Steve Cooper. Similar-ish um, defensive record. So, and I think interestingly as well, you know, he, he lights 3-5-2 or 5-3-2 at Wolves and he's kind of mixed and matched a little bit so far at Nottingham Forest. He's he's played four, he's played five, but it's been four more recently. So I wonder whether he'll stick with that or whether he might change it up this weekend. Uh, he's had a full week on, on the training pitch. So it'll be an interesting team selection. Might be dictated a little bit by injuries for him because if Awane isn't fit, Chris Wood's not fit. So... Then they have Divock Origi as the next number nine to come in. Does he want to start him or does he want to switch things up a little bit? Maybe play Morgan Gibbs-White up front. He's he's played there before as almost a false nine. So, um, yeah, did selection decisions, injury issues for, for Forrest to deal with. Good with Forrest, 
They've got a few wins together. They had a good result against West Ham. Yeah, they did. They were good. They were good against West Ham, to be fair. Um, you know, I think the, the sending off probably helped them a little bit, um, particularly in the second half there when Calvin Phillips got sent off. But I think on the whole, really positive performance. Probably one of the best that they've had under Nuno Espirito Santo since he went to Forest. So um, I think they can be really pleased with that game against West Ham. It's now for them trying to build that consistency towards towards the end of the season. I think they've got enough quality to to comfortably stay in the Premier League. It's just about trying to find that consistency and and picking up points away from home and they, they're going to be trying that at the weekend. For both teams, it's going to be end-to-end, I think. Yeah, I kind of... I, you know, Forrest have got the weapons to make it an end-to-end game. And I think, you know, an end-to-end game probably suits them. And you, you have to say, if there is a vulnerability about Villa, it's yeah. when games become a little bit chaotic. That's when there is a little, little bit of vulnerability in that Villa team. So I think Forrest's game plan is to try and make it a little bit chaotic, break quickly, um, you know, defend their box well. Um you know, what they did in the home game, I know it was a different manager, but what they did in the home game, you know, worked very well against us. They were stationed on the edge of their own box and they packed the middle of the pitch and Villa couldn't find a way through. And we ended up going wide and chucking crosses in and there was no real runs from deep or anything like that. It was, you know, I thought Forest played very well and stuck to their game plan very well. So I think, they have got weapons that can hurt Villa and they'll be trying to make it into a chaotic game. But as always, Villa will go into it and try and control it. Yeah. They will try and set the tempo and set the pace. Well, and play the, we, we, should play be the looking, we should be looking at winning this game at home, I think. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. I think the crowd and the atmosphere at Villa Park is going to be absolutely vital. You know, the Manchester United game, I thought the fans were with them throughout. Um couple of occasions when we've been behind in, in the Newcastle game and in the Chelsea game, there was a little bit of frustration. And I think, you know, when Villa go behind a little bit at home, I think there's an onus on the supporters really to to try and lift the atmosphere, get behind, and get behind, get behind the team because, you know, everyone's going to make mistakes. Players make mistakes. And, you know, thinking about what those players have given Aston Villa over the last year to 18 months, they deserve... 90 minutes of great atmosphere and really making it hard for the opposition because it is one of the best grounds in the in the Premier League. So, you know, that's going to be vital. If Villa often get the goal first in the game, it's all it's almost, you know, the great the great formula for Unai Emery because he, he likes to control it and that enables him to control the game because the, the the opposition try and come out and have to make something of it and that plays into our hands really. And what is your thoughts on Nuno Espirito Santo? Uh, He doesn't like the media. I know that. Um, It's a nightmare when you go to his press conference uh, (laughs) because he gives you absolutely nothing. (laughs) But he's proven to be a great coach. Um, And, you know, particularly with sides like Wolves, like Nottingham Forest, you know, you can look at the time at, at Tottenham Hotspur where... You know, it, it didn't go well and he, he implemented the counter-attacking football. But even with the quality of player that Spurs have, you know, they it just 
didn't feel like the right fit for yeah. Nuno Espirito Santo at, at that point. You know, he's gone away uh, to Saudi and, and now has come back. And I think he'll be eager to prove himself again, you know, after what happened at Tottenham. He'll be eager to show what he's about. And I think from his point of view, he'll be looking in the long term, not necessarily this season, but in the long term, to maybe try and prove a few people wrong with the way his sides play as well. You know, I think he's been tagged as this defensive, counter-attacking, maybe boring coach. But I think this season he'll be looking to do what's needed in the job. But going forward, I think he'll probably want to prove a few people wrong. Because I've always liked Nuno. He's steadying the ship at Forest. Yeah, he is. He is. Um, I think there's still room for improvement. I think they've got a few players back as well from AFCON. Uh, I think Ibrahim Sangari is going to be about Ola Aina uh, and one other, I think, but the name escapes me. So they'll have some extra players back, whether they'll he'll decide to start them or given the fact that they had the positive result against... uh, Yeah, I mean, they are gettable. They are gettable. And it'll be interesting to see who partners Murillo at the back. You know, Felipe, he's getting on. His knees aren't the best. Can he play consistently? He doesn't really train that much, I don't think, at Nottingham Forest. He just goes day to day and gets himself ready, ready for games. So I think he was good, certainly against West Ham, given that experience um, and given his history as a player. And I thought he was good alongside Marilla. But if he's not there, Willie Bolly, that's the other player I was thinking about. He comes back from AFCON. He's available. So does he come in if Felipe is not quite able to to do the job at the weekend? They've got some good players. They really have. Because it knew them as well. He did a great job with Wolves. Because they got to the Europa League semi-final. Yeah. It, and it, yeah, and you know, it was a one of the great journeys, one of the great journeys that Wolves have been on, and I think you know the f- supporters will never forget that. It was some of their greatest times as as fans, and I know some of that was kind of hampered a little bit by COVID, but you know, he will be forever loved in Wolverhampton, and I think you know he deserves that as well. Lord granddad's a big Wolves fan, so does he love Nuno? Oh yeah, he loved him when he was there. Yeah, <laughs> and does he does he still love him? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 in the job that he did at Wolves, yeah, but he used to he goes to the guys with his granddad. Does he still? Fair yeah, play. yeah, yeah. He goes. Well, even though he's a Wolves fan, he sits with me at the Villa. <laughs> uh, and what what does he do when Villa score? Uh, well, well, it's good. It, it, it's cheers, but for me, though, he does it more for me. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. At least he doesn't sit on his hands and stay stay quiet. He's got to cheer. But, but when when Wolves play Villa, he quietly cheers when Wolves score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done it before. I've been. To, I mean, my my dad's a big uh, big Coventry fan, so back in the day when when. Cov, Cov were doing quite well as a team. We've been to a couple of games and I, in the home end, and I've had to, uh, I've had to sit on my hands a number of times and, and not let people know that I'm a Villa fan. There. I was going to ask you the last question, Dave. So you can is it yes or no one? So do you think Aston Villa will qualify for the Champions League? Yes. 
that is that is my prediction. Yeah, I think as long as we, we keep playing the way we're doing, good performance levels are still there. Even the Man United going, we play well. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. And I think what what's really positive is that when things go against this side, you know, if they lose the odd game or concede a few goals, they have proven time and time again that they can come out the following week and put on a performance. And I think that bodes bodes well, not just for this season, but going forward as well. It's a real sign of a of a top team and a, a team that can stay at the top consistently too. Because I keep having dreams about the Champions League anthem. <laughs> I think I think the dream, the dream's going to come true. I really do. I think the dream's going to come true. Oh yeah, I'll be. I'll, I'll love it if it happens. I think it will. I think it will. Uh, so Dave, on Saturday, could you give me a score prediction for Saturday? Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go two-one for Villa, um, and you know I'm going to go Watkins and McGinn. As goal scorers, that's that's my prediction. Two one. I'm going to go three one Villa. Let's hope that comes off. I'll take that right now. And while I'm on here as well, Dave, could you spread the word about my podcast? Yeah, of course I can. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pleasure to to be on and and speak to you. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Because other podcasts as well, as well as talking about Aston Villa and creating awareness about Dushin Muscat Dishtrafer. Yeah, I mean, it, to be it's a it's a something that I'm still learning about, and knowing that I was going to be speaking to you, I read up a little bit um, about it. So I think some of the awareness that you're raising is absolutely brilliant, and. You know, if there's anything that I can do for that, then then just give me a shout, no problem. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for your kind words. Well, let's have a look at some of our, the live comments before we finish. Yeah, Michael Huggins, do you believe that Villa can get top four? Yes, yes we 100%. Do. We do, yeah. Just have a little look at what other comments there are. Michael Huggins, why are Villa so disrespected by the media? <laughs> um, that's a great question. So, look, I think I don't. I don't think that Villa are particularly disrespected. That's the wrong word, something. Yeah, what I would say, what I would say. You know, because I, I see a lot of um, messages and, and tweets and posts and stuff saying, you know, the Sky Six, the Sky Six. And, you know, I think sometimes people have to just take a step back and think um, Sky isn't the BBC and the BBC has to be fair to everybody. Sky is a business. And Manchester United, Manchester City, those top teams, Liverpool, Tottenham, Arsenal, they are the ones that create the most traffic for Sky. Mm -hmm. So naturally, there will be a level of content that is created by Sky. London and Manchester clubs. 
Well, yeah, and that's just that's just the the fact of it. And uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's a conscious thing where it's like Sky. You know, there is a Sky Six. I, I just totally disagree with that because there is content out there for all the other teams. But I think from a business point of view, you know, Sky's Sky want to make money. You know, they're a business, so the traffic mm-hmm. that is created by those clubs enables Sky to keep going and enables Sky to put on the great production that it does. And it and some of the stuff that is created by Sky is world-leading. And I think, you know, from a business point of view, that's why some people might have in their head that there is a, you know, a biased, a biased opinion there. I don't yeah. think, I don't think the pundits and I don't think the contributors to Sky are biased at all. Think of it what's nice about like a, for example, when, Newcastle finished in the top four. At least it got somebody else, somebody different, to get a chance. Yeah, and I think people enjoyed that last year. And if Villa qualify for the Champions Global? League, everybody, non-Villa fans in the Premier League, will enjoy seeing Villa in Europe because of how big a club Aston Villa is. So if we can do that, you know, I think there'll be so much more exposure. Exposure creates revenue. Revenue helps the club. It's only, you know, that once you get onto that train and onto that cycle, it's about trying to stay there. Uh, and that will feed the future of Aston Villa. What with the Adidas deal in the new season? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the players on the pitch are putting themselves and putting the club in the top four position. And it's off the pitch as well now, the way the club has to, to, to act and behave. And, you know, believe that they are a top four club and that's you know the challenge for Villa now getting it right on the pitch getting the revenues right and then enabling us to build because given what we've talked about so much around profit and sustainability rules you know that relies on revenue being high and Villa's revenue isn't as high as Manchester United it's not as high as Liverpool so in order to close the gap on that if we can close the gap that gives us more wriggle room in the market that gives us more money to spend, and it's only a good thing. So, yeah, Villa are moving in the right direction on and off the pitch. Well, I'm going to bring this episode to a close. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe with a capital S. And if you are new, as well which would be much appreciated give this video a like and share it as well remember to make sure to keep your post notifications turned on so you don't miss out on any new content also let me know your thoughts in the comment section about the podcast thank you so much Dave for your time Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I'm going to wrap up this episode with Up the Villa.